0: Okay, Steve, I have a true or false question for you today. So here we go. True or false, the most fabled place in America is Main Street. Hmm,
1: I'd have to say that one's true. It's interesting, though, that when we talk about Main Street in general conversations, there aren't a whole lot of specifics.
0: And, you know, maybe that's for good reason, right? So while Walt Disney may have built his vision of Main Street uh, USA in the Magic Kingdom, the reality of Main Street is quite different depending on where you are in the country, You know, each community has its own Main Street, and and each Main Street looks a little different. And maybe each of us has our own vision of Main Street in our minds.
1: Still, in cities and towns all over the country and the world, Main Streets bring us together. So what is it about Main Streets that do so? And why is Main Street so important? Hello and welcome to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. I'm Steve Guggenmos,
0: And I'm Corey Aber. And today on the show, we're going to take a virtual walk down Main Street, or more precisely, Main Streets, and try to understand what makes Main Street Main Street, why it's so important to communities, and why Main Streets can be at risk, and what can be done about it. And we're fortunate to be joined by someone who uh, wrote the book on Main Street, literally, uh, Dr. Mindy Thompson-Fulloves. Dr. Love is a social psychiatrist and author of eight books, including her most recent entitled Main Street, How a City's Heart Connects Us All, uh, which I might add is fantastic. Uh, so, Mindy, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: All right. So I'd, I'd like to start with some, some background on uh, on your Main Street work. Uh, so can you tell us a bit about you know what you've done with this Main Street study and, and how you got into this topic?
2: As you mentioned, I'm a psychiatrist and specifically I'm a social psychiatrist. So I'm interested in the links between sort of social systems and how they're organized and mental health. And one day I was sitting in a Starbucks on a main street where I lived and I, all of a sudden I was like, wait, this main street isn't dead. And that gave me the idea that there was something about main streets that was important to our mental health. So that's what got me started. And uh, so I've been visiting Main Streets since then. That was 12 years ago. And I've been to Main Streets in 178 cities in 14 countries, um, thinking about this question. What's going on that helps us be mentally healthy?
0: I think there, there's a really interesting perspective that you add uh, as a social psychiatrist, uh, where I think, you know, maybe typical studier of Main Street might be, uh, might be the urban planner. Uh, so how does, how does your uh, perspective as a social psychiatrist uh, sort of influence how you've thought about Main Street. I,
2: I think that's really the heart of the matter is what does psychiatry have to offer? And really it was the foregrounding of human relationships. How is this for people? What, what, be, what are people doing? What do they need? What are they getting from this? And, um, and then, you know, which is both matters very small and, and very large. So, you know, what's in a store window? What's the sign? and how are people reading it? or a statue? What's the statue about? Or how are all the main streets in the u s. connected to each other? so so, but thinking of these as human relationships as people connecting to each other, i I think that's what I brought to it. and then the but the other piece is that, uh, as you know, psychiatrists like to dig into the hidden part. So it was also saying, Okay, Main Street seems obvious, but what's not so obvious? What's under the surface? The, what what my colleague Hirofumi Minami refers to as the psychoanalysis of cities. So that's what I, where I was coming from.
1: That's interesting. And uh, as you uh, you know made your way to 178 cities, would you get a feel uh, quickly? As to how they differed from each other or the similarities, or I'm sure that the, the first few were different than the last ones. How, how was that?
2: In the beginning, I didn't really know what I was looking at. I would just go look and whatever caught my eye would, you know, take pictures, write notes, think about it. But after a while, I really got the gestalt of a Main Street, that, that it, was a, it was a thing that all fit together. Um, kind of an appreciation for what designers and architects and, and builders had created a sort of, this is how you do main street over hundreds of years. So when I would walk onto a main street, you know, I sort of know in my body, in my heart, in my feet, Oh, I'm on a main street. These are some things I can anticipate. So that getting that gestalt was, was really important. I, I didn't have that at the beginning. And in a way, that's what all Main Streets have in common is they evoke that gestalt of, oh, I'm on a Main Street. And then from there you can say, okay, so what does this Main Street have? If you follow what I mean.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what so what were some of the things that that you saw in in common? Some of those things that that gave that gestalt and made Main Street feel like Main Street.
2: I I started to to think of it as that that Main Street thing. So that Main Street is an amalgam of commercial and civic and public space so you know like the city hall and the library and the stores and the street itself and the sidewalks which are the public space are all working together they're organized together in this one thing that we call main street the civic and commercial center so i started to think of that as as a box and it kind of felt like feels like a box to me like it has sides the sides are the, the street wall of, of these buildings um, and then the floor of the sidewalk and the street, and then the sky for the top of the box. And interestingly, Main Streets are punctuated. So there's a beginning of Main Street and an end of Main Street. For example, you'll often find a gas station at the end of a, of a section of Main Street where the commercial, this amalgam ends. Um, then I noticed that the boxes were always set someplace, like in a neighborhood. And I started to think of that as the circle. And then, of course, I said, wait, 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 this is a street. It's like really a street. And the street is going somewhere. Main street is not just the civic commercial center. It's also the street. So I started to think of that as the line. And, then, and so that's what all these places had in common to me was this box circle line. And that was fun to look for and to study. It's fun to take people walking and show them the box, circle, line too. They like that.
0: So you, you talked about you know another aspect in the in the book though, which is which is the tangle, um, which I think added uh, added an important perspective to the box, circle, and line. So how does that
2: fit in? But so the tangle actually was something it took me a long time to figure out I, I mean obviously i'm going to main streets in 178 cities and you know in new jersey we squash our cities right on top of each other and, and a lot of my work was done in new jersey so uh, you know there's orange has a main street east orange has a main street newark has a bunch of main streets and they're all those places are all next door to each other so um there was a sense that these all existed, but it took a while before I, I really realized that actually there's this kind of, when you look at it on a map, this spaghetti of streets. And the main streets are in that spaghetti, like meatballs in the spaghetti. And that, that whole thing, the meatballs and the spaghetti, is the tangle as, as I came to think of it. For me as, as a physician, it's very much like the nervous system where we have places where the nerves cross and they're concentrated and they're passing along messages. And then these long nerves that are carrying information through parts of our body. So the tangle is really thinking of it as, as this interurban nervous system, communication system that really is worldwide.
0: So, so when you looked at, at main street and, and, you know, in the context of the, the circle and, and the tangle, were, were there some, some things in, in common that you saw like, um, that helped main st- the the street itself like, be successful as a main street. Um, and are there some things that that maybe held that up, made made it more difficult?
2: So thinking in terms of you know this box circle line tangle, it wasn't simple at all. It wasn't like rich cities had great main streets and poor cities didn't, or rural areas had great main streets and urban areas didn't, or vice versa. Um, so it's a combination of factors that that mean you have a great main street and what it seemed to me is that is that you know for example main streets have to be built so in suburbs where people didn't build main streets there aren't main streets and and that's just an interesting thing Uh, so one is did they build the main street another thing is that the main street depends on this on the circle the circle are the people who use the main street is the circle intact or did the circle fall apart if the circle falls apart, the Main Street will flounder. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, I think the third thing is, uh, did the Main Street figure out how to compete in changing times? So if there's a Walmart somewhere nearby, did the Main Street figure out, okay, that the Walmart's going to do part of this? What's our part? So it, did the Main Street adapt? I think those are the three big things. Um, So highways that cut through the circle of a main street and divert traffic, for example, devastating for main streets, disinvestment in housing, devastating for main streets. Um, But even a poor community with not very expensive housing, but dense housing around a main street can have a fantastic main street.
1: And it's interesting. you, You talked about the circle as the people and that the, you know, if the people fall apart, the downtown falls apart. And, uh, do, do you find um, different ways in, in, in which the, the people, pro, you know, save the Main Street or or, or keep it uh, going in a, in a town? Like you said, there may be some that are less affluent that um, that have that vibrance. Is it is it attributable to the people, to, to other things?
2: Civic leaders could save their Main Street. And sometimes they do. And I think Main Street programs can be helpful. although. Main Street programs tend to be highly focused on the commercial, and I I don't think Main Streets have to be saved only by that route. So uh, I don't think that's the only way to go. Uh, but I think that a lot of civic leaders aren't very good urbanists, if I may say that, and not to offend anybody. And so they, they miss some of the, the action and the fabulousness of the Main Street. I think that so I think it falls on the citizens. I think the citizens are typically the ones who get organized and save their Main Street, including the business people, including the people who run the civic institutions like the library. Librarians, for example, I think have are many of them are great urbanists. They're like, oh, we're part of the city. How can we be useful? And they do fantastic things. So I, I think it's really kind of grassroots citizens work that um, makes Main Streets vibrant.
0: So in your travels to 178 uh... Cities? Did you have you know? Were there some some cities, some streets that like really resonated with you, and, and uh, where you felt like a strong connection to, or strongest connection to?
2: Um, after a while, it, I just fell in love with being on a main street, just being in that in the space of that gestalt. So I could pretty much be happy on any main street, but um, but some did blow my mind. Burlington, New Jersey, for example. It's just a, such a sweet Main Street. And I, I just loved it. it. goes back very far in, in I mean, in, in sort of the European part of American history. Um, so are colonial era buildings and the, the early part of, you know, after the Re- American Revolution and history of anti-slavery there. I just thought it was a great city. Um, I got to stay in a hotel on Grant Street in Johannesburg. And across the street from my hotel, there was this bakery that had this rye bread that, you know, I just thought was to die for. And, and my, ho- my little hotel room had this balcony overlooking the street. And I was just in love with sitting on the balcony and watching the street. And then I'd go across the street and have some rye bread. It was fantastic. So there are great pleasures to be had on Main Streets, e- even just beyond the joy of just being on a Main Street. I could go on and on about Main Streets I love. <laughs>
1: That sounds nice. Hopefully everybody can taste the bread right now. Oh, wow. So um, <laughs> as as it connects then to the to the housing which which you mentioned a little bit before and and the people around it um, how, how, what what are the different I, we think of uh, apartments being in cities um uh, kind of things kind of going on into uh, from a commercial area into residential um, what, what did you notice in that?
2: Well, housing, you know, plays a couple of important roles one is that there's often housing like if there are stores above the stores on main street and that's really important because as jane jacobs pointed out it means there's more comings and goings at different times of the day and night uh the main street is more inhabited for like if a sort of main streets could be very nine to five businesses but uh then it could be dead after that and and that's really not good so what do you have that keeps the main street going And so having housing on Main Street, I think it's a great thing. Um, And then, But then uh, really the issue is the circle. So this is sort of what's the urban tissue in which the Main Street is embedded. This is a a lesson that I first learned from my urbanism teacher. As you might imagine, they don't teach too much about the structure and function of cities in psychiatric residency. So when I started to want to understand cities, I had to like, go back to school. And the way I did that was I met a French architect urbanist named Michel cantal Dupart and I asked him if he'd be my teacher. And he taught me by taking me around to see French cities and to see his projects and explaining what I was seeing. And, and we've done this for more than two decades now. And uh, one of the very first cities that he took me to was a, a small city in Seau, where the main street was in a lot of trouble. And he had told them, look, you, you can't solve the problems of Main Street just on Main Street. You have to develop the layers of the street that are behind the street. And the the, the city fathers there took his advice very seriously, although slowly. And so it slowly evolved over time. And, and that was fascinating to see that as I would go back year after year, how they were really trying to follow this advice in another city, saint Survey. They were able to do it much more quickly, and you could really see how building out the circle um, created, you know, strengthened the whole of of this main street, of the center of the city. And housing was a crucial part of it. So in in Saint-Civé, we're walking around, and he pointed to a house, and he said because of the infrastructure that he was creating in the center of the city, he said, those people are going to fix up their house. And when we came back a year later, there was construction going on in that house. I, I was blown away. So, strengthening the, the the center and strengthening what's around it go hand in hand. A lot of Main Street programs just focus on Main Street, but if they were to think about the circle, it would all work much better and much faster.
0: You know, one aspect of this that so I'd like to expand the circle a little bit. Thinking back on on some of your other work and your work with with Cantel, um, I think it was in in um, and is that that connectivity between Main Street it's a surrounding circle but also the rest of, of the city so so I, you know i i recall uh, i think it was in, in urban alchemy where you talked about uh, sort of, was it him uh, saying uh, you know, helping sort of uh, revitalize some neighborhoods in pittsburgh and, and having the theme of like find the river and so that, that really I and mean, that resonated with with me all those years ago when i read, read when i read the book um but it strikes me that that that's a key component of a successful main street is that it? Not just works within its circle, but in the circle that's next to this circle, and 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 other surrounding circles. Is that is that a fair uh, fair assessment?
2: It's brilliant, a brilliant assessment. Yes, <laughs> the main street has to be a street, right? It has to go somewhere. And if the connections of the main street get cut off, if it gets dead ended, especially especially if it gets dead ended at either end, it's going to collapse and die. It's it's a uh, Bill Morish, who's an architect I work with at the New School, says that you know all of this surrounding tissue—it's like a, the watershed of the Main Street. And but if it's a watershed, then it's got the water's got to have some place to go. The, the find the rivers, pro, find the rivers. Comment that Kental said to the people in Pittsburgh who were in the Hill District, but but really cut off from the slopes of the hill and from the rivers. He said you got to find your way to the rivers. And they took that seriously, and they really looked for the ways to the rivers and and then worked on them, worked on those connectors. As in Sora, it was, it was slow work, but they made a lot of progress. And it has really, um, I think, stimulated the vitality of the Main Street. The, the Main Street in that neighborhood used to be the very famous Wiley Avenue, but it moved to Center Avenue. Um, and one of the buildings that got built in this new spirit is a building called the legacy, which is multifamily senior housing, just a a gorgeous uh, intervention in reconnecting the, on the main street, but also then reconnecting um, to history, which is a kind of another river that has to be connected that you have to connect to in a city, if that makes sense.
0: Uh, Absolutely. And, you know, you, you talked, so, so I think there there are a few places to, to go from that. But one aspect is just, I mean, you mentioned that there was Main Street on Wiley Avenue and then Main Street moved, uh, which I think is a pretty interesting idea that Main Street is not a static place, but, but, uh, but can change over time and, and can move entirely over time. So what, what, what accounted for that shift in, in Pittsburgh?
2: Well, sadly, um, it was a, the tragic story of the combination of urban renewal which cut Wiley Avenue off from downtown, and disinvestment, which just sapped all the all the prosperity out of the neighborhood, so it was basically killed. And this has happened in many urban neighborhoods. Frederick Douglass Boulevard in Harlem, for example, was you know just a, a very important boulevard, but was you know basically completely undermined by policies of disinvestment. We once interviewed a woman who said she was walking down Frederick Douglass Boulevard and she said, all of a sudden she stopped and she said, I haven't said hello to anybody for a long time and this is such a friendly place in Harlem, everybody says hello. I haven't said hello to anybody. And she looked around and all the buildings were boarded up and she said, I didn't say hello to anybody because I can't, there's nobody here. And that's a major boulevard that was shut down by disinvestment. So that's the very sad story of losing a Main Street And then the the task in front of of people who were involved in the restoration of the neighborhood was what to do. It kind of migrated to one block over to Center Ave, which was still connected to downtown. And and I think that's why Center Ave was still a through street at both ends. And that's why it could become the new main street.
0: Wow. And so just one block over.
2: Yeah, just one block over. But it, it just shows how that dead ending of the street can kill a Main Street. I, when, you, when you see the photographs of Wiley Avenue in the 50s, it was an extraordinary street. You would never think it could just disappear as a Main Street.
0: You know, one, one aspect of this that um, I'd like to talk about a little bit more is maybe just like the dichotomy or, or opposition of Main Street as a, as a way of, of gathering, place of gathering and, and place of, of commerce and like the shopping mall, for example, which, which certainly you know had its, had its rise as the gathering place. Um but yeah, you know, I'd like to you know get your sense of, of um how those those are different and, and how Main Street uh maybe has a, has a more more important role in, in, in different features.
2: Everybody kept asking me that as I was doing the study. So I finally was like, wait, I have to sit down and answer this question. And the way I tackled it was Look, using a theory called from ecological psychology that looks at how um, places are organized to fit the behaviors that go there. And, and the, part of their theory is that there are behavior settings. So, streets are behavior settings, and main streets are a very particular behavior setting, as are malls. So, the question is do you see the same behaviors in those settings? So, I made a list of all the things I had ever seen on a main street. It was a pretty infinitely varied list. And then a list of things you could do in malls. They're not the same at all. And and I put both those lists in in the book to share my perspective on this. So things like uh, political marches, protests, for example. We've seen a lot of protests on Main Street in the past six months. You can't do that in a mall. They'll kick you out. Panhandling somebody drunk and sleeping it off on a Main Street. You can't do that in a mall. Um, But so... So the main street is public space, and it belongs to the public, which doesn't mean you can do anything you want, but a lot of things can happen on a main street. Malls are police, They're private space. And they're really only set up for one behavior. They're not set up for gathering. They're set up for shopping. Whereas main streets have some shopping, but they have other things, uh, like strolling. They're set up for strolling. And so that's, I think, the the variation is very important. And ecologically, this is a fundamental point, because uh, ecological systems that are strong and that have resilience have lots of variation. Whereas when we make monocultures, like in agriculture, we set ourselves up for all kinds of disasters. So keeping systems complex is very important, and the main streets are complex, and it's that diversity, that complexity, that's to our benefit.
0: Thank you for that, Mindy. It, it, and it actually it reminds me of um, one of my favorite movies that I, I feel like is about that uh, that difference between the shopping mall and Main Street. Uh, David Byrne movie from the '80s, True Stories, uh, where he goes to a, an imaginary town in Texas and and strolls around Main Street, strolls around the shopping mall. But I, I do want to turn back to you know the 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 point in Pittsburgh and and the main street moving over and and, uh, find the rivers comment, which, which ties into sort of a question that we've been talking about a lot more on the podcast recently, but um, that question of economic mobility and, and um, you know, opportunity for residents. So, you know, strong communities, opportunity for, for, uh, for uh, growth and and success over time. So how does main street tie into that uh, concept?
2: Main street's, can be very supportive of that or not and what i've seen is relates to that really critical point from jane jacobs which is that you need buildings of of every age because new buildings are going to have high rents and new buildings tend to be designed in that big boxy format so that the ground floor stores are very big and very expensive so A new entrepreneur can't afford to rent there, so you get chain stores, and a a lot of in New Jersey there's this popular thing called a town center, town with an e center R E, Um, and so it's multifamily housing over a set of shops, but there are these new big big square foot shops with high rents, and then if you compare that to the, um, you know, the, the sort of town center to the regular Main Street, most main, many Main Streets of the older variety, they have little stores. And so um, a whole lot of people can rent a little store to do something little, like be a hairdresser or have a hardware store. And I think that's where the new entrepreneurs get their foothold in business. So I, I think that, That's one of the reasons urban renewal is such a disaster. It destroys the old buildings that create diversity on Main Street and diversity of opportunity. And the new buildings that get built are only accessible for people with a whole lot more capital than um, a a starting out entrepreneur is likely to have.
1: Yeah, picking up from um, uh, your discussion of of kind of the smaller businesses, You know, I think that one of the concerns of, of COVID right, is, is how small businesses will perform. And uh, as you say, the small businesses uh, uh, kind of create the character of a neighborhood, create the character of that main street. And, and if those are stressed, then that's really going to uh, impact that street and that community. Um, have you, I know it's, you know, we're in the middle of it right now, but have you had a chance to think about that much?
2: yeah aren't we all thinking about it all the time what a what a stressful thing the from you know from what i've read and from the people i've talked to this is falling very heavily on this small business sector that we're talking about you know people who don't have a lot of capital reserve and who might not have the kind of relationship with a bank for example that would have allowed them to get one of those payroll protection loans or know how to do the kind of negotiation you have to do to get loan forgiveness as that comes along. So the the kinds of ways in which we have supported or failed to support small businesses are going to be very evident on main street. And it's going to be some of the main streets that I've been to a lot. You know, I've seen a lot of empty storefronts. So Uh, I think it's going to be a huge change. And I think that people with a lot of capital are going to snap up real estate, which is going to be at very low prices. I think it's going to be a fire sale, so to speak, of real estate. And then as things pick up again, the rents are going to go skyrocketing and make it even more impossible for people to enter into the business space. So I think we're at a time of what could be real transformation in the direction of, of corporate actors controlling Main Street and not having a lot of room for other people. How, how have you
0: seen, um, you know, since Main Street is such a, a social public place as well, how, how have you seen that impacted? Um, and, and is there, a, you know, do, you see, do you see it coming back? Uh...
2: Well, I have to admit that when we were in complete lockdown, I, I, you know, I was in lockdown. My doctor told me, don't you dare step a foot out of the house and stay in that house. <laughs> the only place I went was to my garden. <laughs> um, so there was a period there where I don't know what was going on. Uh, but since things have lifted a little bit and I've been able to get back and see some main streets, especially because it was summer, there is a lot going on. And, you know, everybody that could open their business had managed to hang on through those four months that was able to reopen was was really trying to you know, have hand sanitizer and masks and get people in and be friendly. Um, So, and people wanted to just walk on Main Street, get some ice cream, right? Because it was summer and that's so fun to do. So I saw tons of people on Main Street just walking up and down. Um, And Main Street's slowly adapting to things like outdoor dining. So outdoor dining was sprouting up everywhere. So the, the, you know, the deficit of socializing that we've all been through has left us with a hunger to just be in a crowd. It was like, can I just please be in a crowd? I'm sure that's why all those kids at Notre Dame just ran onto the football field. They, did, they just forgot for a minute that they, they, it was forbidden. They're just like, wait, I want to be in the crowd. I want to celebrate. So people like to go to Main Street and be in the crowd and eat some ice cream and walk up and down and just like old times it's the it's that socializing of main street that it satisfies our hunger to to be to be in the thing right people talk about the fear of missing out but the opposite of that which also is it's what so much of us are in touch with right now is the joy of being in and main street is a place where you can really have that joy of being in i'm just i'm just in the crowd and i'm here i'm hanging out you're here you're hanging out and aren't we, we're, we're just doing it. We're just doing our human thing. So that that's what Main Street is really about, which is why, although a lot of these stores are, are going to go through terrible changes, all, much of which could be avoided if we had, um, I think, supportive policies, decent policies. But even so, Main Streets can come back because they have that capacity to create the the moment of joy, the joy of being in. So we have to use that to rebuild Main Street.
1: Yeah, and I think we get we get a lot of questions, and it's more often speaking about urban. But I know you, you capture Main Streets that are urban, and you know across the board to rural. Uh, but it's it's a similar kind of thing as we try to think about people's preferences um, in as we move forward, and we may not move back to a complete normal, um, the same as what we expected before. But you got to think that people. Enjoy uh, all those amenities that are in those public spaces that are offered by a main street, and, and it's something that you've witnessed firsthand and documented so well. Um, there's also a lot of areas that have main streets that that they start to see this risk. They start, you know, they, wh- whether it's from COVID or from something else, they've seen a risk where things are are um, coming apart a little bit. Are there are there ways that you've seen? Um, advice that you would give to folks that care about those areas as to how to keep them up, keep them going?
2: You know, this is one of those questions where there's like short term, midterm, and long term. And so, you know, in, in COVID, we're constrained by by COVID. If we're gonna be in the public space, we have to be socially distant, we have to have masks. So it's sort of are are we thinking about COVID? Now we have to get through the what my colleagues and I have come to think of as this season until the vaccine. And we don't know exactly how long this season is going to be, but it's going to be a while. So we can't necessarily inhabit main street or urge it to be inhabited. um, Just yet. Right. We have to be very careful. We don't want to create super spreader events. Um, So so in the short term, we're kind of hampered. In the short term, the best policy solution is really to throw money at it. And it, it's not going to be forever. But for the next six months, businesses need some money. Government has money. In the best of all possible worlds, I think government would give these small businesses some money so they stay afloat till March when the vaccines become really available. Then in, but it, then in the midterm, you know, after COVID is controlled and we can go back, You need to animate the space, and that's when parades and parties and music festivals become wonderful, and those are the tools that we should be using. In the long term, we want to build a mix of commerce and civic and and other kinds of social uses, which stabilizes the whole thing through ups and downs. If, If your main street is all commercial and we go into a depression and all the commerce dies, then your main street is dead. But if your Main Street is partly public space, like libraries, and partly commercial, then your Main Street is going to be more stable through ups and downs. So I I think we have to think in terms of of that, those three pieces. But urgently, in the short term now, really is the question of how do we get through this, this until the vaccine season? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and and you know at least where I live, there's been you know a tremendous amount of you know, support just from you know, from the circle uh, around Main Street of, of you know a lot of takeout uh, from the restaurants, a lot of, you know, still finding ways to uh, uh, where the the community is trying to support uh, support its neighbors, support its friends who, who own these businesses and and uh, you know work work in the businesses. Um, you know there there's an aspect uh, that you talk about in in the book, um, you talk about asset-based community development. And and so when, when thinking, you know, COVID or, or no COVID, uh, just helping to, uh, to preserve, uh, you know, a strong main street and a strong community, uh, I'd like to get into that, that concept a little bit, because it is very interesting and very powerful.
2: Yeah. It's a concept that's been around for a long time. And, I I agree. It's a very interesting and powerful concept, the idea that wherever you are, you have assets. You have people who know how to do things. And you, you want to get those people and support them to do the things they do. Um, and so looking around in Orange, where I I work with the University of Orange, a, a free people's urbanism school, so looking around orange and saying, you know, what are the assets of this community? One that we realized was that there's a lot of music and there are a lot of different communities that have different music. And so we said, can we pull them together? Can we can we make connections among all the communities by bringing their musicians together? And then the audiences to, to come hear those musicians, but also hearing the other music of the other people. Um, this is a project we call Music City. And it's really quite extraordinary. We have now this Music City Festival where more than 100 musicians, Orange is a small city, 33,000 people, but more than 100 musicians come and play across genres. So from classical to, to rap to R&B, it's just extraordinarily broad. I don't know any place where I've ever been where you can hear all these genres of music in, in a day and played. Actually at many levels of proficiency, so concert pianists but also somebody who's just learning how to play the banjo and just wants to sing are are welcomed at this festival. That's asset based community development because the person who's just learning how to play the banjo comes back a year later and is better, comes back five years later and has, you know, got a career, become a professional musician. So it's it's that taking things that, that you see that you find and then building on them together, like saying to people, saying to the local musicians, how do we make something out of this? And that ongoing conversation where you do concerts and then reflect and then build is a very powerful example for me of seeing how asset-based community development becomes a very vital way. And you don't have to get rid of anybody or replace anybody or say, we don't want poor people, we just want rich people. Some of the really hostile things that, for me, as a psychiatrist, I find quite frightening in society. Rather, it's a it's a very loving way of saying, "Oh, I'm glad to meet you. What do you know how to do?" And asking that in a very polite and respectful way, and then building from there. For me, that's mental health. Is is that kind of of city building?
0: So, Mindy, that that's a really fantastic uh, answer. And you know, one of the things that that you know in in your example make, makes makes uh, a you know a lot of sense. Um, Right, you're talking about a place that you know has a lot of people around it, right? So, um, you know, if you have the music festivals, maybe easier to bring people in uh, because there there is some population concentration. But but I do wonder about you know what about like uh, in in rural communities where you don't have as many uh, necessarily as many people just you know living around there to, to drive that that uh, kind of response and, and growth.
2: It's a really important question. I've been fortunate that one of my medical school classmates, Martha Stittleman, moved to vermont she a lot of family from that area and she settled there after medical school and has been a family practitioner there and we get to visit every summer and she takes me around she's a she's a an environmentalist very involved with the green mountain club serves on its board so very aware of the ecology of the area one day we were driving through a, a forest and she stopped the car and we you know took a few steps into the forest and there was a rock, a big rock, and it had a brass plaque on it. And the brass plaque said that Daniel Webster had spoken there to 15,000 people. And that was just amazing. Because we were in the middle of a forest and it had been forest for a while before where, where we were. And forest, forest, to was forest. And so we puzzled about this. She just found a local history book that told the story of Daniel Webster and these 15,000 people and where the people came from, how they got there. And it was a Whig convention in the middle of the forest. And so they had all come. The 15,000 people had come on foot. They had come in in um, carriages, on horseback, and they camped out there in the forest to have this convention and hear Daniel Webster. Now, so things are, are always changing and people are always trying to figure out what to do. But if we start with an asset like Daniel Webster gave a speech to 15,000 people in the forest, and then we say, well, what has that got to do with what Brattleboro is trying to do now to support farming by having a parade every year called the strolling of the heifers? My teacher, Michelle Cantal-Dupar, said we look for these things. They're like elephants. They're, They're precious. And then our job as urbanists is to figure out how to connect them and this is both conceptually and geographically um these are these are strange assets that at first don't seem like they have anything to do with each other but we can build from them and then that's the deliciousness of of this asset based community development
0: Mindy thank you so much one that this was a fantastic story and and uh you know after talking to you today I absolutely long to travel again and walk down main streets uh like, like, like I did not that long ago, but, but uh, talking with you is the next best thing. So thank you so much for, for being on the show today.
2: Thank you for having me. It was great. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Freddie Mac Multifamily Podcast. If you'd like to learn more, follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.